Hello and welcome to episode number four of this podcast. My name is Elliot Greenman and I host it alongside my friend Alexia Nell. Uh, we recorded this at the end of April 2019, just after the London Marathon. Um, so we talk a bit about exercise, um, I guess people's motivation for doing exercise, nutrition, uh, stress, IBS. Um, and then we go into accountability, responsibility again, and kind of talking about mental health and the link there with with stress and then we talk a little bit about beliefs and what those beliefs might be stopping you from believing in and then we end on the four agreements as always if you want to like share comment then uh, please do and enjoy perambulations in franglais Well done, uh, Elliot, for um, finishing the London Marathon in good time as well. Under, okay. si under six hours this time around. Yeah. <laughs> My friend well, bet that less I was going Less than four hours, but not bad. My friend bet yeah. that I was going to do it in six hours and six minutes. And I had to point out to him that you can... It's like a quick walk. In six hours and six yeah. minutes? Is it? Yeah. Well... Yeah, yeah, yeah. 26 no, 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 no. divided by 6 is like 4 and a bit. So it's you you got to go 4 and a half miles an hour. 4 and a half. Oh, yeah, okay, okay, okay. Basically. Yeah, yeah. So, and Mo, Mo did it. Uh, the guy, the first one, did it in just over 2 hours or something. 2 like hours and I think 2 yeah. or 3 minutes. That's it, that's it, that's it, that's set, it. Set the new course record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. And it didn't look like he had been sweating too much. Yeah, yeah. It was like per it was perfect conditions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, it's like fourteen yeah, degrees yeah. Yeah, overcast. That's, that's it. Not too too bad, really. Rather than sixty six degree. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Well done. No, it's interesting, really, to see how, why uh, people do it, really, and then. Asking yourself a bit the question mm -hmm. when you're running around like that, I think it's quite an interesting thing, really. Like the whole group thing, couple of friends like that. My colleague last year uh, woke up on the first of January and he was like, "Oh yeah, let's do. I'm going to do the Paris Marathon. I'm 25. I play football. It should be fine." And after seven weeks of training he buggered in his knee something like that and I've had uh, Debbie as well a friend of ours and uh, she really almost damaged her knee permanently really on the training leading up but um, bizarrely she was doing park run she was doing a couple of bits and bobs really so um, when but I talk to when I talk to people who do quite a lot of uh, I treat quite a few people who do Ironman and marathon and things like that like that and I think it's quite it's quite interesting to see really how people get quite we need to do you need to get your body ready to do the whole thing really yeah because I remember talking to you about doing the London Marathon last year yeah. and I said how long would you say you need to prepare your body to run yeah, the marathon yeah. and you said minimum a year yeah yeah and and even then that's for you just to be able to complete it not that's to it, do it not do it time. yeah that's it, that's it. And, and I think three years is really yeah. like if you really belong to a running club or something like that I think it's quite good because as soon as you start going over over a certain distance I think as soon as you 
for me, if I go over six miles, yeah. I, I know like everything starts to come to surface. Like lots and lots yeah, of yeah. issues come around quite quickly. Um, and it's not as if we cover a huge amount of land or distance yeah, on, our, it, on our feet nowadays, isn't it? That's it, that's it, that's it. No, no, no. And then I guess the wall, um, that the wall, a bit the problem about being sedentary a little bit and all the metabolic disorders, uh, being overweight and all those kind of things is quite a big, uh, it's quite important thing, really. We are sat on our asses quite a lot, really. And we go from the office in the car, sat, and then we go from the car to the house, sat, and then all the rest, I think, is quite diabolical, really. Mm. But, um, and even even being sat so like some I, I would say a lot of people especially that I know or work with and stuff they don't do any thing physical so no exercise no stretching yes, 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 and, yes. and even just like just learning how being in a seating position for long periods of time so like yeah, yeah. 9 to 5 or whatever like yeah, yeah. I'm sat in a seating position pretty much solidly for 9 to 8 to 9 hours a day yeah that's it and like the way your body's going to accommodate that that's with, it, with it. the shortening and stuff it's quite interesting to see yeah. see that and to see a little bit like uh, that hip and shoulder uh, uh, pattern a little bit and the upper triangle cross syndrome mm. all those bits and bobs really and yeah I think a bit more yoga a bit more stretching hydration because that's uh, as much as a uh, you know, like we talk about the pain gate quite a lot, about all those kind of stuff, and we talk about, yes, yeah, the skin and the central nervous and peripheral nervous system, but we talk about the muscle and the joint and the fascia, the connective tissue, and we talk about the gut really. And I guess a lot of what's happening with when you walk and you do mild exercise is that you actually breathe and you massage your gut in a way really so you got a bit better hydration from your large intestine your kidney is being balloted a bit better so mm. it's really kind of propping things up really in a way really so there is as much the muscular part of it and the whole f- uh, musculoskeletal fitness but you got your organ fitness as well and your diaphragm really and the cadence you have a little bit does quite a lot really yeah, when, when you do mild exercise because by the time you do a marathon uh, distances I think the first person who ran the marathon died so <laughs> at the, for the battle of marathon mm. uh, to uh, give the good news of the victor and then I think he didn't mind you he was with his possibly with his uh, uh, just armor, battle. his armor his uh, shield his sword his helmet and it had probably been in battle and had been so anyway, but yeah, I think it's quite interesting. Yeah. But my 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 gut, my like intestines now on the right hand right side, side. Yeah, yeah. is really uh, this. Yeah. I, I know it for sure, and it hurt on the way around. Well done for uh, doing the rehydration uh, salts. So yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's quite great uh, stuff like that. Couple of days after I eat. And yeah. Well, I only had to lick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your skin, skin to know you know, how, how much salt you had lost, really. Mm. That's it, really. Yeah. yeah. So, um, your volemia, your blood volume is uh, really managed by the large intestine, basically. Volemia? Volemia, yeah. What does that mean? Is your that blood volume. Volemia. Volemia, <coughs> yeah. Is managed by your large intestine. So, everything you're going to cry, dribble, snort, piss, sweat, and breathe 
he needs to come back in. So all like your saliva, your tears, your sweat are just filtrates of your blood. Like your urine is a filtrate of your blood, basically. Okay, which enables the whole uh, body to excrete quite a lot of toxicity from the body. Mm. In lots of different ways. In lots of different mm. ways. So uh, yes, of course, the sweat has got another uh, uh, thermoregul thermoregulation type thing because like uh, fluid on your skin is going to actually evaporate and then it uh, keeps your uh, skin temperature. The, they have uh, other uses other than just getting rid of top. Toxins, toxins, that, that's it, that's it. Yeah. So that's uh, I can't remember in English too much. Uh, acrine and paracrine uh, glands, like that. So we got like uh, sweat glands on our, our armpit, in the back of the knee, in the inside of the elbows, and in the groin a little bit, which are a little bit more um, getting rid of toxins, basically. And then the ones a bit uh, elsewhere tend to really be a bit more for thermoregulation in a way. But yeah, all the salts and things like that go away really. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and I think dehydration in general is like the more I've been thinking about how much I drink, but also what you know the other minerals and micronutrients and stuff yeah. that you get through like water or hydration tablets with salts and stuff that's it, that's it, that's it. and it's helped me so much just by being as soon as I am on top with drinking a lot and mm -hmm. making sure I'm hydrated and drinking a little bit less alcohol uh -huh. it, I feel so much better yeah because alcohol is interesting one molecule of alcohol or ethanol to go into your bloodstream you need to eject two molecules of water Mm. One molecule of uh, glucose to get in your uh, system needs to expel one molecule of water. One molecule of glucose to get into your yeah, system yeah, yeah, has yeah. to expel one, one molecule of water. So even and then, uh, ethanol, not... I, th I think I think it's what is that. But I think the ethanol is two for sure. Maybe the glucose is not water oh, mediated, but I think it is. I thought it was. So you, we tend to dehydrate a little bit with those kind of things when eating sugar as well. Yeah, potentially. Yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting, all that, all that thing. And then I think we talk about uh, sedentary people don't tend to hydrate enough, really. That's the main thing, really. And again, hydration is great for uh, concentration, is great for all sorts of uh, dilution of uh, waste product, all those kind of stuff. It's really, it helps with the diuresis a little bit, with your kidney flushing everything. And it uh, actually uh, keeps your stool loose a little bit as well, really, mm -hmm. in a way. So there's less constipation and things like that. Quite a lot of people are constipated because they actually don't drink enough water, really. Mm. And uh, we talk about two liters of water, really. So uh, that's a lot. Well, yeah, uh, but it's, yeah, it's when, four, when, it's four pint, four pint of water, really. When you think about, I think when four I, when I, of water. when I looked into how much I was, or when I actually noted down how much I was drinking, yeah, yeah, it was very, very. How, how much close. water you are drinking? Because that's the thing, really. If you drink coffee, that's dehydrating a little. If you drink alcohol, it's dehydrating. Uh, certain molecules that you eat tend to get rid of water as well. So you need to kind of balance that really so uh, you go out you have a few drinks and thing uh, you can have a glass of water every in between every glass of red wine or something like that and it actually helps uh, quite a lot really and hydrating quite a lot beforehand then obviously quite after. before after and things like that really 
Um, providing that your gut is not too inflamed, providing that uh, your gut functions properly, providing that you move enough, all those kind of stuff, that's uh, the square of things really. So if you're celiac and you've had uh, some gluten and things like that, and, or some uh, wheat uh, related type of product, your gut is going to be quite inflamed and then your rehydration pattern is not going to be very good really. In a way, really, because you're quite inflamed, and your gut is the lining of your gut is quite inflamed, really. So the exchange of uh, fluid is not going to be done very, very easily, really. You might actually ooze more fluid from inflammation, really. Well, because it's not able to get through the yeah, the yeah. intestine wall yeah, properly. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. So we see that quite a lot uh, with people who've got acne, for example, and things like that. Well, uh, they've got excess. Uh, excess um, waste product a little bit and their skin is enabling the whole lot to actually breathe a bit more and things like that really uh, this big thing in New Zealand at the moment with uh, we were talking about mass uh, industry in terms of uh, cows and uh, sheep and, and poultry and all those kind of things um, there used to be loads of sheep in uh, New Zealand and now there's lots of cows which are actually very different type of grazing and the way the whole thing is done in terms of the farming and a lot of the butter and the milk from and the cheese from New Zealand tends to go to China and the Chinese people tend to be lactose intolerant 90% of Chinese people are lactose intolerant is that because they weren't brought up with cows and they weren't brought up no 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 just genetically speaking in their genome the once winded I think it's or wind when once when, wind like when uh, when the baby stop stop breastfeeding oh the, um uh, wind wind once wind the whole baby or the process of winning actually is when the lactase enzyme gene tends to switch off mm. and that's what triggers a bit the baby to actually not want uh, too much breast milk but ninety uh, percent of Chinese hands people are hands H-A-N-A-S hands are lactose intolerant so they don't have lactase enzyme as an adult yeah I think European is 10% of Europeans are lactose intolerant so um, and I think it's from that interglacial area or just uh, at the time of sedentarization and farming and thing and we then we did uh, have all those uh, animals back uh, in our midst a little bit and then he gave the people who could digest better those kind of uh, product were uh, had an advantage of actually being able to survive a bit longer really. What if they're able to digest milk? Meat? Yeah, milk. milk. That's it. I think they even an interesting thing about um, the Mughals and Attila and uh, how successful the Mughal Empire was because of the milk from their horses. And actually, they had a genetic difference compared to the hands, which was to actually be able to digest lactose. 
Mm. And actually, that it means that uh, you had a, a mare uh, who could uh, produce some milk, and then you had your dinner uh, ready. So you had like uh, protein, you had hydration, you had the sugars, the all those kind of stuff, the fat, all the rest, which actually meant that uh, they were quite lean uh, people, but they were quite well fed, really, compared to an, an army like that. You could actually uh, go on horseback, and then you could digest the whole uh, pro bad product of the horse, really. And therefore, you did you have to transport it and say like that so compared to the uh, uh, to the Chinese uh, Chinese they had to actually get uh, wheat or rice and they had to get grain and thing and all the, the malarkey behind it and the cooking of it all those kind of stuff really and that was actually far a big advantage for the um, uh, whole spread of the Mughal uh, Empire was actually the fact that they were like they were not lactose intolerant mostly. Where's the Mughal Empire from? Is that uh, Attila and uh, uh, like uh, from uh, like Central Central Asia? Okay. Central Asia, yeah. I think they came all the way to the door of uh, the Ottoman Empire. Um, I think they might even even almost ended up in uh, Hungary and places like that. Really, so they were like I think they was really big, big uh, extend from the uh, Chinese Great Wall type thing all the way to Europe, almost or to Tur Turkey or Eastern Europe. Yeah, a long way. Long way. How? Can, why do? You, why does? Why does ninety percent of Chinese? Why did? Why have they? That's just like that. It's just genetically well, speaking, yeah. they don't digest uh, lactose. Basically, their lactase enzyme turns yeah. off when they when they need to stop. That's it. Winning. Breastfeeding. Yeah, breastfeeding. That's, that's, that's it, really interesting. Ninety percent. So I think uh, in Europe, ninety percent of babies have got the lactase. Or ten percent of babies don't have lactase enzyme. So that's a bit the tricky thing in my mm -hmm. practice when I see. Uh, babies who are a little bit uh, colicky or, or they fail to thrive, they are quite irritable, all those kind of stuff. That's something to really think about if the treatment doesn't really work very well from what we are doing osteopathically. Maybe they've got a little bit of a problem with the digestion of milk, basically. But 90% of babies digest the milk very well. Um, it might be even more. I'm not mm. entirely sure. But, but as we as we As Europeans, we tend to really keep the ability to digest lactose throughout life, basically, as Europeans. So, so like 9 out of 10 adults really definitely carry on digesting lactose uh, throughout life, really. Compared to Chinese, I think there's only 1 in 10 Chinese who can digest lactose. Yeah, that's crazy. So they're they being fed because there's so many of them. There's 1,400 million of them. Uh, they need to be fed and we need to eat up their uh, protein and their uh, food consumption or food consumption. The amount of calories that they are getting, but they're getting it from uh, cheese, from butter, from milk, Fish. which uh, tends to actually really be a problem. Who comes from New Zealand? So New Zealand gets actually buggered, and the environment and the farming environment gets buggered in order to give that to Chinese people mostly and export it to China, which actually can't really digest the whole product really. So mm. it's really quite a weird thing. And I guess you would see that quite a lot on Chinese uh, uh, students. Their skin is not very good. They've got quite bad acne, all those kind of stuff at that time of the life. And they come to Europe and they change their diet 
quite a lot, really. Or and that's why they have bad bad, bad skin, yeah, yeah, because they're just not used to. They're not used to the warlords. That go alongside and maybe and a bit of stress, inflammatory type uh, process in the gut and all those kind of stuff, and the skin takes over to actually expel some of the toxins. Really. Mm. Or oh, naturopathically speaking. But I, I, might, I might be proven wrong. Somebody might uh, be able to comment on that and say, Hopefully no, it's do. completely bollocks, something mm. like that. That's it's like nutrition so unbelievably ridiculous um, because Jordan Peterson just sent out um, a tweet today that I saw yeah. saying that he got his blood results back from three independent insurance companies. Yeah. They, did th- they did full blood work on him. Yeah. And everything is absolutely spot on, yeah. and that's after one year of only eating beef. Only, yeah. The only thing he does with the beef is cooking it in tallow, which is beef fat, yeah. And nothing else, absolutely nothing else. Yeah. And he says all of his autoimmune issues have gone. Yeah. His blood works absolutely perfect, including vitamins and yeah. all the things that people said that wouldn't be perfect because you don't get vitamins in, in meat but it's like our, obviously our understanding there's no scurvy which is what everyone was taking the mick out of him for because they were like you're not getting any vitamin C that's it and he's, it's like and he him and his daughter are on the carnivore diet and I think his daughter does she does recommend it actually but he he's like I don't I'm not saying anything because I'm not a nutritionist but all yeah. I know is that it is working for for him but we know that uh, we know that uh, quite a lot of the needs need to be met um, and therefore you go on some kind of diet or if you call it a diet you can call it a lifestyle change you can call it uh, whatever you want to call it in order to not to call it a diet because people who go on a diet tend to be stressed yeah, because they have to achieve something, and then they tend to maybe use certain foods as a cr- emotional mm-hmm. crutch in order, huh? and therefore they know they've been told they can't. You can't have that. You can't have it. Like um, some colleagues of mine do uh, allergy testing, uh, and it's a complete loads of. But that, that's like, like it's basically, and and even if it was quite interesting. Do you really want to know what you can't eat? Well, I is it really useful to know what you can't eat? I just had one of those skin prick tests. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, and the so they give you like a control of histamine, yeah. and then they give yeah, blah yeah. blah blah. And the dog hair one yeah. came up massive. Yeah. And I was like, I whenever I go and like spend some time with a new dog, yeah. I do generally get like a little bit of something, yeah. but it's not massive, yeah. and it's certainly not worse than when I'm in a field with like newly cut grass, yeah, yeah. which is supposedly one of the ones that they did. Yeah. But then I was like, I've been asked recently by someone to um, what tests I would recommend for them to get uh, for food allergies for IBS. And I recommended the first thing to do is get a cortisol um, test instead, because I was like, your allergies or your tolerance to absolutely everything and your nutrition and blah, 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 is directly related and massively affected by your stress levels. So there's actually no point at all having one before you've realised how much how stressed, you, how are. stressed you are and IBS is a sign of stress indeed really. yeah yeah like in, it's a symptom of, it's a symptomatic uh, result or a symptom of uh, stress really 
But no, no, what I was really going into, and I, I think it's great to have like a skin prick type taste in order to look at different allergens and things like that, really. But um, in, food intolerance testing mm. and getting a result, however accurate the whole thing is, getting a result about what is it you cannot eat, how interesting is that? That's the whole thing, really. You see somebody who's got a little problem and, and is really a bit worried about the whole lot and you go and seek a professional help and somebody is telling you what you can't eat, which is, isn't it maybe ask, uh, really mentioning to people what they can eat and how they can eat it? I think that would be a bit more helpful. Really. What to say? You can eat this. You can eat it's that. Yeah, but, but then... rather than uh, talking about what you can't eat, oh, you can't have strawberries in the morning without uh, peeling the whole lot. You can have spots on your bum. Like, like that's the whole thing. A little bit. Um, I think it's a lot about. I was. I wanted to work with a nutritionist not too long ago, a couple of years back, and um, I contacted local nutritionist, and there was one lady who unfortunately had uh, other uh, arrangements and other uh, things uh, going on, but it was really interesting. She was doing actually um, uh, like six or ten week kind of uh, diet, eating habit, cookery, type classes so you had the weekly uh, meeting and you meet with other people who for example you wanted to lose weight but you have people who had uh, high blood pressure you or wanted to get rid of their uh, triglycerides or some people were diabetic type 2 diabetic all those kind of things so there was different or uh, people who were actually sporty and they wanted to change a bit the whole way they were actually eating mm -hmm. and she was doing uh, cookery classes with all of them and you had like an introduction about what sugar protein uh, and uh, lipids were on about and then you had like uh, different ways of cooking with steaming with frying with uh, baking with uh, oven work all the rest and thing and she was really going through all the all all of that with everybody and everybody could actually contribute to uh, the table to say about recipes all those kind of stuff because it's not really the food you it's not the so uh, I think you, uh, in French we go, we would talk about like uh, the raw material of what you, of your diet. So we talk about protein, grains. We talk about uh, dairy products. We talk about all those kind of stuff, which is great. But actually, you need to process them. You need to so after the paleo diet and all the different things is or raw food diet or juicing diet. It's more the way the stuff is processed. And the way it's cooked, because it's all, it's all about cookery, cooking habits, really. Okay, so if you still have, uh, if you still have your pans, if you still have uh, uh, frying pans, and you still got an oven and all those kind of stuff, and uh, you're gonna carry on doing the shepherd's pies that uh, your auntie Mathilde he was uh, uh, cooking, and it's the best one in the world, and things like that, really. But Uncle Bob uh, died of clogged up arteries. He was 47, really. You know. <laughs> In a way, really, and then we don't talk too much about that, but it's, it's the best uh, shepherd's pie, and it's like bloody August, and it's 30 degrees outside, and you're having a shepherd's pie type thing. So, um, 
It's all the emotional link to uh, food, it's the way it's prepared, it's the way it's cooked, it's the used the um, cookery um, techniques techniques you have, all those kind of stuff really. That that could that should be quite interesting. So a lot of things you do you do shakes type thing and uh, you do uh, food supplements or, or meal replacement, all those kind of stuff. Uh, that works really well really. But, uh, and then you lose some weight because uh, one you decrease your uh, your energy intake, <laughs> your calorific intake, uh, boom, calorie intake goes completely down. Mm -hmm. You tend to hydrate a bit more because you drink uh, quite a fair bit, and that type of thing. And then all of a sudden, what do you do when you finish all your sachets? <laughs> you go back to eating the same things that you were eating before. That's the whole thing, really. You, so how is it you alter the whole lot by being told what not to eat or by, tell, by being told what is it you can eat and how is it you can eat? But for, for you a, mean, really, a little bit, really. So it's, that's the whole thing. That's the same thing as like being a manual therapist and someone coming to see you and then being like, oh, yeah, that must really hurt because it's really bad. And it's like yeah. focusing on the wrong side of things. Trying, yeah. Instead of leading them being like, oh, okay, so here's the solution. It's yeah. like, oh, that must be really bad. Yeah. So nutritionists, instead of them being like, oh, you can't eat this because it's really bad. It's yeah. like, here's a direction to go in. I but know. I think most people, I think like from personal experience with people who want to lose weight, I think most of them, a lot of people don't I find don't actually cook badly or at least I don't they don't tell me that they're cooking yeah, badly yeah, yeah. but they need to know if they're intolerant to bread for example or if they're intolerant yeah, 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 to yeah. they need yeah, to yeah. know some of the foods that they are, yeah, yeah, yeah. are actually yeah, yeah. intolerant so to. exclusion diet exclusion diet yeah. that's it yeah. so you eat the same than you do usually you don't alter anything apart from that one food that you take away from the whole lot yeah. you look whether you're still bloated whether you shit sideways still all the rest and thing really yeah. and that's quite an interesting type way of doing no doubt. Yeah, yeah but it yeah. takes a long long time it takes a long time because a lot of dedication sometimes it's uh, the type of bread we're lucky in uh, Tedbury we've got a great baker or a great bakery and the uh, way the bread is actually processed and uh, done and and uh, the fermentation is done and those kind of stuff it's really slowly done and actually it's quite a good quality uh, flour and it's quite a good quality a process it's a quite wholesome type thing and then even when I eat the white bread uh, from there well in reasonable quantities I'm not too too bothered really if I go in the supermarket and thing it feels like the my breakfast is uh, if I have two toasts of the whole lot it feels like my breakfast is carrying on finishing the whole bloody fermentation in my gut it's, I mean, really, it's just yeah. a, it's a very different uh, stuff so after this bit of yeast there's quite a few bits and bugs but the ingredients and the way it's done and uh, sourdoughs and, and uh, uh, soda bread all those kind of stuff can be quite an interesting thing because mm. often you think you're a bit uh, uh, intolerant to the whole uh, bread but actually which part of the bread because there's a couple and of what type uh, of bread uh, like yeah there's a couple of type of yeah. thing in the bread as well because there's all the yeast and uh, quite a lot of people we talk about antibiotics and we talk about loads of stuff so people's flora is completely buggered and uh, we've got 3.2 billion year uh, warfare that is at play between uh, yeast and uh, bacteria 
Not the worst. Penicillin comes from yeast yeah. and is to actually deal with bacteria. And that's, and that's and happening in our... That's happening in our gut day in day out, really, you know? So we were talking about... Did we talk about food transplants? Yeah, a couple, of, uh, couple of uh, times before, really. And so it's really quite an interesting thing, really. Like people who've had Clostridium difficile or, or MRSA. Clostridium... 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 Difficile. Difficile. Like it's one of the nosocomial uh, infection in hospitals. And uh, you get really poorly. You get dehydrated quite a lot. And uh, some people give poo samples... <laughs> healthy poo samples which are cultivated and people have a nasogastric probe and then we inject it into their gut uh, from the top down and it repopulates all the whole lot and it competes with the clostridium basically mm. because otherwise uh, you get antibiotics to try to destroy the whole lot and it destroys and just, just feeds it when it doesn't well it feeds the yeast the antibiotics is going to feed the yeast but uh, the main problem is the clostridium is quite resistant to antibiotics so it takes quite a lot of it to get rid of it and but all the other bacteria in your flora get wiped much faster yeah. really and therefore there's no competition really because it's, it's about the ratio as well isn't it? It's of about all, the ratio of bacteria. of bacteria, of type of bacteria, and things like that. Really. So all that <laughs> so so crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. And then I think we come to there's lots of research about all those kind of stuff. And then, and uh, there's a submucosal and the myenteric plexise. So we talked about how many neurons there are in the gut, and there's as many neurons in your gut than there is in your spinal cord. So it's quite a lot, really. Okay, but you've got submucosal plexus so you've got your uh, lumen which is like the hollow in your gut which is the outside world and then you get your mucosa which is the first layer of cells which actually interact between the outside world and your internal world and then you've got loads of bacteria uh, loads of uh, uh, immune cells loads of neurons loads of uh, very interesting uh, processes at play there and it enables the interaction and the uh, and, uh, um, transfer and the absorption of uh, certain uh, micronutrients, like all those kind of things, really. And it's really linked to your immune system and our food lot, really, you know. Uh, you eat a bad uh, shellfish, uh, your body doesn't take too, too long to pick up these bacteria and the byproduct of metabolism from those bacteria is a big signal and you're going to puke in, in... Oh, I've had a shellfish intoxication uh, uh, when I was in Portugal two days ago. And, and, uh, you eat bad uh, paella with a bad uh, thing, you, you shit it and you uh, puke it in like five minutes <laughs> ten minutes your body is really with those kind of stuff it goes gets it out very quick really really quickly and it's, <laughs> and it's all, all all the whole sen, all the whole sensory type of thing and your the outside world I think it's really superbly put together really yeah put together no no so it's, it becomes super very very interesting really and the cortisol test might be quite an interesting um, uh, interesting uh, thing to understand your level of stress really but it's a bit of a pitfall again really because we know about uh, the expectation fulfillment theory of dream we know about food intolerance we know about uh, 
uh, environmental stress, we know about all those kind of stuff, really. So, all of a sudden, you need to assess a little, you need to plan uh, the whole thing again, really. So, yes, your cortisol level is not up to scratch. You don't have, you, uh, it's on the 94th percentile or 97th percentile. So, you got 3% less cortisol than you should, all those kind of stuff. <laughs> And it's just like that ongoing stress, but which stress is involved, really? Because we know that emotional stress is going to actually all lead. That, all that's doing, if you got an, a cortisol test, is confirming that you are stressed. That's it. And but well, for me, that you are what, physiologic. That the that the the stresses have manifested. led have led to you having a physiological uh, an exhaustion of your adrenal. Yeah, yeah. So it the the stress, which most people would consider as like. It's really funny because if I talk to my mum about stress or if I talk to some some other a few other people, like my nan as well, and uh, she'll be like, I'm not stressed, I'm not a stressy person. And I'm like, it's so funny how everyone's idea of stress is like that's that's in that's one that's particular way, almost like they're, they're uptight and going to snap any minute. Mm. But it's actually worse the other way where people aren't. And sometimes they you can't see what you're being stressed, what why you're stressing. Like, for example buying something that you don't necessarily need but you're working really hard towards that thing that's and it's giving that's you that's a level of stress but it's not a really obvious level of stress yeah, yeah, yeah. but the the cortisol context, thing contextual yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, um, the cortisol like test obviously is great but I think what you were saying earlier with the expectation fulfillment theory of dream it's like everyone who I know who's stressed struggles like sleep is telling us when we're not able to sleep no, yeah, that's it, that's we're it. not able to sleep yeah, throughout yeah. the night and feel rested in the morning yeah, yeah. that straight away is telling you right you're stressed you're stressed that's, that's all you need to know that's all you need to know yeah. and especially for me again anecdotally I, I spend a lot of time when I'm stressed in REM sleep I know I do because yeah. I, I often wake up afterwards and I try to write my dreams down if I can But loads of other people I know who are stressed are like, I'm dreaming loads and blah, blah, blah. So the body's just already got all of its indicators there to be exactly, like... Exactly, exactly. So how much how qualitatively you can assess your stress or how quantitatively you can assess your stress, really. And uh, the cortisol is a, is a very, very interesting uh, molecule. But there's not only cortisol, there's a DHEA, there's melatonin, there's all, all sorts of things because mostly, so you, you know, we need to remember a bit about humoral mediated immune system and the cellular mediated immune system, really. So that's quite an important uh, thing. Hu humoral mediated uh, immune system so and cellular mediated immune system so, so, uh, so one let asthma me, let me asthma eczema atopic dermatitis eczema psoriasis humoral. is tend to be humoral mediated uh, uh, psoriasis sorry um, asthma and eczema are going to be humoral mediated how do you spell that hum h-u-m-o-r-a-l Humoral mediated immunity, and is that is that related to hormones? Is that why? No, Or, it's yeah. just a process. Okay, it's just a process of the immune system, which is humorally mediated, and mediated is, by macromolecules found in extracellular fluids such as secreted antibodies, complement proteins, and certain antimicrobial peptides. Humoral 
immunity is also named because <coughs> it involves substances found in the humors or body fluid. Body fluid, that's it. So all the immunoglobulins and those kind of things, that's going to be mediated mostly by cortisol. And DHEA, another hormone produced by the cortex in, uh, of the adrenal gland, is going to actually mediate the cellular is going to actually modulate the cellular mediated immunity, okay? which is a bit more an autoimmune type uh, si uh, situation, basically. Okay? So that's, that, so it's becoming quite, it becomes quite interesting, really. There's so already two types of... Two types of uh, uh, substances are helping your body when in a critical situation and an acute situation to prevent your inflammation and your immune system from completely devouring your body basically because once you cut yourself you, the saber tooth lion has uh, taken part of your uh, IT band out and you've got a nasty gash on the wall lot and thing you have to lick your wounds and you've got uh, uh, potential for infection so you've got like uh, all the inflammatory inflammation that is happening and it's called diapedesis so we've got like a, a swelling of the tissue which actually helps to ooze out a lot of macrophage, a lot of the humoral mediated and cellular mediated immune system to actually get rid of bacteria and all sorts of things that have contaminated the wound and to start the healing process. So all the platelets are coming and they start to be a bit like the... Um, scab that is getting formed there's all the rest and thing and the wound tends to close itself if you don't have uh, enough cortisol or DHEA you tend to actually keep a wound that, uh, like ulcerations all those kind of stuff tend to be a problem with uh, your uh, cortisol basically mm. or your stress level basically and that stress level it can be environmental It can be digestive, it can be hormonal, it can be emotional, it can be mechanical. Remember, we said osteopathy was osteon, not osteo, but osteon, the Greek derivative, was the root of the root of things, the bare bone of things, okay? Um, in that meaning, rather than the bone itself, you know, like, like, the, like the skeleton. Just the bone, uh, yeah, yeah. At the chiropractor or the physio or the doctor, he's got like pieces of plastic representing the skeleton, really, okay? It's not that. It's osteopathy is pathology being, having its root in a musculoskeletal imbalance. Basically, okay. So we think as osteopaths that we talk about tensegrity, we talk about the torque series, the mechanical uh, torque series, which is going to work on the intracellular fluid and the intracellular matrix and things like that. The cell is not going to be uh, working in an optimum fashion when it's mechanically distorted, basically. Well, and also because of nutrients getting to it and so and so and then pH and uh, mm. we talk about acidic type environment all those kind of stuff and things really okay well actually the pH in the body doesn't vary uh, uh, at all but it's a buffer 
So when we do a bit of chemistry, you get a buffer and you can add loads of acid and loads of uh, alkaline and it doesn't really change the pH, okay? And uh, so we talk about, oh yeah, um, oh the oranges and the citrus is really acidic. It's like, well, no, because the citric acid is actually a weak acid. And actually it's going to buffer even more the whole lot, which actually is going to stabilize your pH quite nicely, really. Sugar would be much more acidic because you have protons, you've got exchange of protons, all those kind of stuff. You're going to secrete even more uh, acid in your stomach and the protons are going to lead to HCl. And HCl is a strong acid. Mm. Hydrochloride. Hydrochloric acid, really. Okay. So is this quite so much in terms of the stress like that, which is like it's a it's a <coughs> minefield. It's a minefield. But we, if you um, uh, if you do a bit of uh, so if you look a bit at your diet at your dietary habit maybe and and your way of cooking and uh, the type of uh, diet you you suit best so you need it's a bit trial and error I'm not too sure there's loads of interesting uh, things like paleo diet like keto diet like uh, raw food like juicing like uh, all sorts of things but it needs to be something you can carry on throughout life in a way really yeah I think with, with the diet it's almost like I spent this weekend with a lot of my friends who are vegans and to me I I feel like any diet's probably quite good if it, if it's if it's a well-known diet yeah. if it's a famous diet it's probably not that bad for you mm-hmm. obviously there's going to be some horror stories but there's so many other factors at play it's nearly impossible to say to attributed the, to the exactly one, to the one thing so it's like just pick a diet that you can i don't think we can we must not be because we all diet because we all eat yeah uh, i guess i, mean, really? I guess I'm, I'm using the word diet that's as it, a, it, as a it. like a that's way it. of eating a it? way of eating yeah, like, yeah. A, like so, a framework behind that's it, that's how that's you that's eat. It. but we can see that low some substances so the way of eating of japanese people has changed quite drastically over the last uh, few decades and we see much more um, uh, breast cancer we see much more a problem like uh, of the sort in uh, Japan, for mm-hmm. example. So when uh, I think the diet has been westernized a little bit, trans fats, all those kind of stuff and things, which uh, compared to the way their body uh, was possibly used to uh, having yeah. uh, that thing, <coughs> really, that's, so that's what a lot of the people rice rather than uh, wheat and on, um, kind of on a carnivore diet. Because um, I've read about it quite a lot because. F- I'm very interested in conspiracy and because it's like the start of echo chamber, almost like a religion or a cult kind of thing, but also I'm interested in nutrition and I don't think meat is bad like so many people have said. Mm -hmm. But within the carnivore diet, so many of them have said that they've traced back their ancestry Mm -hmm. and for whatever reason, I think Jordan Peterson said a similar thing, for whatever reason, they would have they would have like hunted meats from uh, till quite late um and and so like their body's quite fine with meat but then Mm -hmm. other people for example can't they have Mm -hmm. meat and they know it straight away we see inuits for example Mm -hmm. like people in the north uh, close to pole in northern canada or russia tend to well they don't have broccoli much growing 
I don't think they even got a name for uh, they don't even have a word for green but I think they've got like 20 or 30 words for white because <laughs> of course they are. anyway so there's not many broccolis and oranges growing there and they've got mostly a very high fat high animal fat diet and they've got very very little triglycerides they've got very little uh, cholesterol basically Mm. But, um, so uh, oh, yeah. on the BBC they were talking about that tribe in South America of people who actually were actually running and uh, uh, in Mexico somewhere and then uh, all of a sudden they, they are in in, uh, in, uh, in their old way of actually living and activating themselves and all those kind of stuff and the type of diet and the dietary habit and the type of foods they were eating was actually suiting them. They are very lean people, very athletic, very, they are like uh, running at 3000 meters in altitude, no problem. Tac, tac, tac. They've got like festivals every year where they go, they go running and thing. And they are some of the most obese and, um, and the way the, their metabolism completely changes as soon as they go into cities and they get more sedentary and they tend to have uh, sugars really mm. and they've got high incidence of diabetes high incidence of uh, heart attack and strokes and all the rest really so their genetic makeup is actually well suited for um, a type of uh, um, activity physical activity and the type of uh, the foods basically and that's quite big that's, that's quite a huge huge thing really yeah. there's loads of loads of uh, anecdotal evidence that certain uh, um, like ancestral ways tend to actually suit people quite well and as, as soon as they get out of that uh, kind of way well the whole thing goes uh, belly up really a bit really. yeah and part of the issue mm. of that is because we have obviously supermarkets that have absolutely everything in them no matter what season and so you can eat whatever you want whenever you want and so much of that is processed and not natural food anyway yeah 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 yeah, yeah there's loads I don't mm. know uh, eggplants and tomatoes and potatoes are of the family of the solanaceae so like daily nightshade and datura it's not really the best uh, type thing potatoes if they're a bit green uh, they tend to be quite uh, alkalinizing they tend to be quite acidifying for your internal environment they tend to be pro-inflammatory all those kind of stuff for your gut all those kind of stuff really in a way really so certain foods but if you go to Greece and it's uh, August and you have the mous local moussaka you're gonna have eggplants they're gonna have a grown there. it's quite seasonal all those kind of stuff and as long as you don't eat eggplants every day the whole lot it's not gonna really be a problem really mm -hmm. but if you eat potatoes uh, breakfast uh, lunch and dinner uh, day in day out there's a bit of a problem really that's, that's where the whole thing becomes really a bit of a problem too much of the same thing everything in moderation including moderation that's it that's it that's it that's it Mm. We have to be a bit, uh, well, I don't know, like it's all that, where do we put the stress, where do we put the, uh, uh, 
which of those stresses are uh, the one you have to address in your life, really, in a way. But I guess people need to be given a bit of a framework again, that's the whole thing, really, to be able to make uh, better decisions, in, uh, to improve their health and their uh, response to stress and their, uh, yeah, that's it, really. I think that's really an How important thing. What advice would you give to someone to, um, who is stressed? They, like if if they if they know that they're stressed or they when when they know they are stressed, I think it's quite an important thing. I think it's not to it's not to stress people by telling them that they're actually stressed and they don't know they're stressed because I think that's quite stressful. <laughs> it's quite stressful in a way, really. And I don't know, like advice wise, I think it's really to uh, how would you work through like like where is your stress coming from? Because like it seems to me that stress is one of the like top it's like the first thing to deal with for me it's like deal like if you've got IBS or if you're in pain or if you're in this blah 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 might be a good idea to so that's that's the context again so uh, dealing with trying to deal with IBS when you've got IBS might not be the best way to deal with IBS Try to, trying to deal with IBS when you've got IBS might not be the best way to deal with IBS. Exactly, <clears throat> yeah. So how do you do that? Then? So you need what to look mean? at stress and I think the, your whole environment, your response to uh, your environment, I don't know, like you're, uh, you're, coming, you're coming back home, there's people dealing drugs in your uh, 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 stair uh, case when you go back uh, to the flight and all those kind of stuff and things. That's really stressful. There's like a, a gun crime or, or like I don't know, like knife crime or those kind of stuff, that's going to be quite a stressful environment, really. So that's going to play onto things, really. The type of work you're doing, all those kind of things, really. Like the people at work, uh, if your boss is really bullying you or uh, all the rest and things, I don't know, like your colleagues or things, the commuting you have to do, all the rest. Just really. try and like try, dis- try dissect to really dissect to be every part, really. And what is possible to change? Because uh, obviously, uh, if you got plantar fasciitis because you stand a lot and you're in, a, you work in a bakery and you're there day in day out, uh, seven days, uh, seven or eight hours a day, and you're standing and you're not doing too much of a lot, uh, we're not gonna tell you stop working in the bloody thing. Uh, oh, put your knee, put your feet up, have some pina coladas on the house, something like that, really. The job is actually providing you with uh, uh, quite a lot, really. So there are things that can be uh, changed and others that can't. Really, very realistically, really. So I think it's to really assess the whole lot. Uh, we talked uh, about that with uh, Jordan Peterson a little bit. About clean your room, really. <laughs> clean your room. Like, do something. Global warming is great. Uh, and the stress is great to know that it's there, really. But sometimes it's just the smallest changes that are actually making the biggest impact really and it's definitely the biggest impact that you can see in your life in your life exactly it's like that's a really big thing that's it that's it that's it to do then if you if you're able to do that on autopilot every single day that's it that's it and you can I tend tend to talk to my patient quite a lot when they are uh, in pain and things like that I tend to tell them they are very good at being in pain they are, they are really excellent at being in pain. They've really rehearsed it really to the nth level, really. And it's, they are excellent at it. They are really great people. They are great at being in pain. What's that? And, 
And, well, uh, people chuckle a bit, really, because they know they are quite good at being in pain, because it's, <laughs> it's really obvious, really. But the whole thing is the whole process at play is difficult to uh, uh, isolate, really. And that's why we talk about the pain gate. That's why we talk about the human given. That's why we talk about environmental stuff. That's why we talk about all sorts of things, really. So the allopathic medicine and thing. Um, uh, patient who's got low back pain and uh, yes it transpires that she's got uh, this groin pain or her upper lobus, lumbar spine is really uncomfortable or neck is uncomfortable certain time of the month is getting worse at times all those kind of stuff that's really she's on a contraceptive but it's not really for contraception but it's for managing her period uh, of course she's got lots of bleeding therefore she doesn't have enough iron because she loses quite a lot of blood every month all those kind of stuff where where do you start really and she's got bad back really in a way really so she comes to me for a bad back but it's all to do with that really so uh, taking the pill is a really interesting thing to be able to manage a bit the whole lot maybe it's to uh, look at uh, sesame seeds and and, uh, and uh, spirulina and uh, steak <laughs> and uh, liver all those kind of stuff to get to get lo lots of uh, iron in her diet there's like all the iron supplements possible so there's a tablet one who's going to constipate you there's a liquid ones like Gonna get a bit better a little bit so and the amount of exercise she's doing how sedentary she is all those kind of stuff breathing exercises mm -hmm. in order to massage the whole lot so you need to really work at the whole lot and then um, the ectoderm the mesoderm and the endoderm that's the whole Which stuff really. the skin and the central nervous system is the, ec the, is the ectoderm ectoderm, skin and central nervous system the mesoderm is the connective tissue, the joint and the muscle and uh, endoderm is the gut, so uh, she's having the contraceptive <coughs> pill to look at her gut really, but she can do breathing because of, uh, to for her gut and her musculoskeletal system, she could do some stretching for the proper stuff for her sacroiliac, but uh, for the musculoskeletal system and her gut she could do some walking, a little bit in between, I don't know, at lunchtime, all those kind of stuff so she's taking the pill for, did you say for her gut or for... No, for, for well, yeah, well, yeah, that's it, for your organs. For, for organs, yeah, yeah, yeah. For her uterus. Yeah. For the dysmenorrhea she's suffering from, really, in a way, really, to mitigate a little bit of But potentially she might be able to modulate the pain a little bit or mitigate the cycle by doing some walking or doing on, some on top On top of the whole thing. So the pill is great and it's to keep it because it's helping internally at the moment and it's a great crutch about the whole lot. But she, if she looks at uh, her, her central nervous system and the stress she's under and uh, maybe using a tense machine to use, uh, to use the skin or, or some foam rolling or uh, some massage or uh, cupping or other modalities to use in relation to the sacroiliac and, and uh, Wolgani organ a little bit and the dermatome all those kind of stuff you can do quite a lot really and then the stretches of her hip flexors or quadriceps or her QL the whole lot and things there's uh, walking there's breathing exercises and all of a sudden you've got, and uh, the problem is uh, oh yeah I've got oh yeah test machine oh yeah Yeah, I've got one somewhere. I have to dig it out. So she had the. Actually, people are really competent, but it's not organized. So she she has been suffering from that problem for a long time, but she's not really integrated it, and she didn't quite know why she was using a tense machine. 
It's because it's quite you easy to get an emotional about uh, an issue and then not yeah. think. Yeah, not think not straight. straight. But that's it, that's it. You can't see the tree from the forest, really. So I would say for people who've got a bit of stress, I would advise them to find a good framework around uh, the pain gate is uh, that neurophysiological process uh, and the uh, expectation fulfillment theory of dream is great all the diets all this kind of stuff whatever you want to do you do uh, you get into co- as long as you get control as long as you get more competent as long as you get uh, uh, like all the uh, I don't know like we were, I was looking at uh, uh, a type of yoga and then the lady is doing a seven week uh, program and a seven week program and one of the perks was the fact that it's part of the community because everybody's on Facebook and they've got a community type thing and everybody talks about how shit they feel and how great they feel and how how, how really well put together their pooies in the morning all the rest and things which is great really so you can tick some of the boxes quite nicely again really yeah tick some of your emotional needs but the, the the other thing um which i only thought of when i was when you were talking is like like probably the most important thing if someone's stressed or is trying to put together something within their life it's like i love the thing of accepting responsibility so like every accepting responsibility and absolutely everything and therefore every ailment you've got or every you know you feel bad about this or you know you're not able to hold yourself together at certain situations like if you're able to try and accept that you need to find out what works for you that's it that's it like, I think you're, you're you're there already really I think that's the whole thing really yeah. don't rely on others too much to do the jobs that need to be done by you really in a way really but at times it's great to get some help a little bit as well so that uh, people who are depressed uh, antidepressants uh, for most people who are depressed is a basing uh, they can do really in order for them to be able to function a little bit mm. and then you can uh, do the stuff if you're at the bottom of the pit uh, you're not going to be able to think very clearly and therefore the program and the rule framework and the slight implementation you need to put through are going to look like they are complete impossible to do really mm. so Sometimes we need See, help. We need yeah, others yeah. to maybe give us a hand a little bit, really. That's, mm. We are gregarious. We but need others. Really. Accepting the responsibility of, of trying to figure things out for yourself, doesn't that, that doesn't necessarily have to be mean that you always need no 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 I was in, not in, talking in, about having help I was talking about delegating the whole, the whole exactly. responsibility to somebody else because sometimes that can be exactly. people think they're getting help a little bit really in a way that's, I mean, really. that's, that's what I was, that's what I was going, get, um, getting to like accepting the responsibility of you making the changes or, yeah. or you trying to find out yeah. and you trying to make the changes in your life that yeah. are going to affect you yeah. isn't the same as as not getting help so you can yeah, get yeah. help so long as you don't expect like you say expect someone else to do you all to the get things help for you to maybe get the information yeah. the proper framework the, or, or, the competence or a bit of encouragement or, or to encouragement. do the right things. exactly yeah. exactly exactly acknowledgement that you're doing the whole, whole lot so a bit of reward mm-hmm. part of it all those kind of stuff a bit really the lo- internal locus of focus and the external locus of focus really quite important uh, thing really we all have a responsibility to get our shit together a little bit more or, or we've got a, a responsibility and a duty to ourselves to actually try at least to uh, uh, get the whole ball rolling 
individually to be better today than you were yesterday yeah, a little bit better today okay. than you were yesterday and if you manage to do that and you go at it for the next 15 years every day well you're going to be quite good at uh, solving problems and you're going to be quite good at uh, understanding the stuff and you might be able to share that with your neighbor who if he or she is in that process might actually be helping you to go in that process and you might actually help them and all of a sudden it's your community you can do that too in your village or all the rest and thing and then once your village and uh, it's your region uh, type thing and then the region and then a whole lot and then it's a freaking planet really <laughs> that's the whole stuff really and, and that becomes quite an interesting uh, thing really but, but, but it cannot happen next week and uh, as much as uh, a couple of autistic people and Asperger's people have actually been put in the media a little bit forward to champion uh, the whole thing which actually the whole global warming and the whole thing it's uh, great really but, uh, and it might actually appeal to the pretty catechistic uh, politicians that we have around really so it might be the right way of going about it really mm. But as long as individually thing is not taken uh, care of and people don't take responsibility individually, it's uh, it's, it's still going to be an uphill struggle. That's completely. <coughs> but it's, that's what it's on about, really. It's well, always an uphill struggle, really. It's uh, called uh, it's called the survival of the fittest, really, and uh, the survival of the least stressed, and the least stressed the longest. And the least stress, the longest, is going to live the longer. That's the whole thing, really. And if he lives the longer, he might be able to influence the most people. And the most people being influenced might be the least stress for the longest, which might, uh, and it snowballs like that, really, mm. you know? And people who are too stressed, and, uh, yes, yeah, it's, uh, it's a cruel world out there, really. Nature is, uh, Nature is a bitch, really. <laughs> Nature is uh, out there to eat you, really. It always has been. And always, and always will, really. And as much as we want uh, Mother Nature to be really cuddly and nice and the little foxy foxy is really cute and cute and you send your kids with little sausages to uh, feed the fox in your garden and the kid gets mauled, really, because the fox is a carnivorous thing. And your child has got 10 little sausages. Once the sausage he was giving is already gone, really. So that's it. That's two fingers gone, really. Because the fox is nice. But he's, uh, he's going to get you, really, if he can. Because <laughs> that's how it works. And I think that's a bit the tricky part, really. It's not fair. Mm. And, 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 it, and, it's, and it's, a, it's a nasty 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 environment but that's that's again why i think it's so um liberating to or just like freeing to accept that it's your fault like your responsibility for for everything that you kind of for not everything that you experience but a lot of stuff that you experience because when you've done something wrong and you didn't realise and then you realise and then you apologise for doing something wrong to someone else or to yourself as well it, it feels and incredible yeah, yeah, yeah. When, and when you do that to yourself on a daily basis yeah, yeah. it also it's, it's like all of a sudden you don't you're not right brain emotional about it and yeah. stuck just being emotional about it all of a sudden you can start thinking about things a little bit clearly we are all stuck one way or another about yeah, loads of time. things really yeah. that's great that's a great thing really so that's a bit humbling as well to know that um, that there is quite a lot of work to be done and 
and that it's a work in progress and uh, and you can't get it uh, right all the time and mm. uh, and you're quite limited in the uh, uh, scope of what you can do and knowing quite a lot is maybe sometimes not the best thing in a way because it doesn't help you a little bit really so I don't know like um, I guess like really really a great way of looking at it and taking responsibility for your own actions um I can remember like a long time ago we were uh, reading my uh, friend uh, Vince and I oh, Vince uh, put me onto that actually uh, Vincent Lewis uh, really great osteopath um, we were talk he was talking about the four agreements uh, so it's like a Toltec philosophy shamanic philosophy type uh, thing so there's four agreements and it's like a nice little book from Manuel Don Ruiz or something like that Manuel Don Ruiz Four Agreements Manuel Don Ruiz Don Ruiz How's that spelled? R-U-I-R-U-I-S Don Manuel Manuel Ruiz Four Agreements Four Agreements Yeah Don Miguel Ru Ruiz. Uh, Don Miguel Ruiz. Uh, yeah, that's it. The four agreements. <coughs> that's really quite an interesting, uh, quite an interesting nickel thing. So I think there was like uh, always remember three or something of the whole lot. So I think there was like uh, all, uh, be impeccable with your word. Yeah. Always do why. Always oh. do your best and um, do not take things personally. And uh, there must be a... Don't make assumptions. And don't make, don't make assumptions. That's it. That's the last one. Why? So I've heard the be impeccable with your word. And I used to, I used to lie quite a lot. And from someone who has realised that lying has a lot of really bad consequences, not only when you're doing it and after you've admitted to the lie, but afterwards for a long period of time... I know that it's important but I, I don't quite it's like what level I talk a lot and sometimes I, I go on a ramble and then I'll say something that isn't const, isn't constructed the right way so it's not received the way that I say something that I don't mean mm-hmm. so it's like I understand why it's important but why mm-hmm. well we mentioned a bit what, with Logos uh, so Uh, logos is that uh, intelligible word really you're creating you're transforming even better you're transforming your reality now using your word really and if you talk uh, nastily and if you uh, distort reality with your word about others you distort reality about yourself really because if you talk badly about others which is not the case and if it's a false thing actually you end up talking badly about yourself really in a way really so your reality changes you know we talk about that's a genesis a little bit it's how like god uses his word a little bit is the intelligible word the logos basically to bring light out of darkness So there's all the uh, creationist a little bit. He, he seems to create things, you know. He creates man and things, but actually he doesn't create it at all. He just transforms the inanimate clay into a living and thinking thing using his word, really, in a way, really. He, he doesn't uh, uh, create light. 
he just uh, brings light out of darkness using his word all the all the rest really. mm. he doesn't really he just transform what is already there and he makes it uh, and he uh, and, I, and he thinks it's uh, good as well <laughs> and it looks and it's good basically it's it's nice it feels nice and that's a logos a logos really so that's maybe one of the stuff and it's archetypal so it's like a Toltec philosophy in a way really and the Toltecs are uh, like an ancient uh, uh, Central American uh, civilization really in a way really and they were talking about being impe impeccable with your world so all those stuff have come out of the uh, uh, <laughs> like uh, millennia and millions of years uh, of evolution really because that's uh, the way the whole thing goes really and you have to be impeccable with your word do not take anything personally don't make things personal really so when somebody uh, says that you're really crap at the whole lot is maybe right and you can maybe think he's right or maybe it's his problem really <laughs> you he's really pointing at you for his shortfalls really a little bit really <clears throat> That's, that's, that's another really interesting one because um, I follow a guy called Gary Vaynerchuk who's an American entrepreneur he's like uh, he was from the Soviet Union and moved there when he was quite young and his he's he feels very blessed that his family worked very hard and he never wanted for anything or needed anything and he's always worked really hard now he's massively massively wealthy and quite famous on on social media and stuff and he he always talks about he always talks about um not expecting anything from anyone ever mm -hmm. and not um, and that's linked in with the one that's sort of uh more closely related to don't take anything um personally is like is is not not caring what anyone thinks of you like mm -hmm. at all so like don't expect anything from anyone else and don't don't care what anyone thinks of you and I've never heard anyone and he was like you can separate that from trust mm -hmm. and you can separate that from love you can trust someone and love someone and have a great relationship mm -hmm. but the, you can separate them mm. caring about what they think of you yeah, yeah, yeah. so long as you, you don't ever because do anything people love you because of the love you put into the whole thing really so it's not the love doesn't come to you just as a freebie really the love is because of the love you give to the love you receive is because of the love you give really in a way really the energy you put into your relationship is received by an energy that is put into the relationship so the next the other person is going to be as active as you in the world lot really and if you are surrounded by people who you invest yourself quite a lot and they don't well obviously they are not the right people really mm -hmm. so you need to maybe surround yourself with people who there's a bit of a reciprocal type stuff at times not all the time maybe but at times really and all of a sudden that feeds the whole lot and yeah maybe taking making maybe it's about making assumptions really you assume that uh, other people are going to be uh, thinking great thing about you or bad thing about you when actually it's completely distorted really you need to ask them really mm. and same, both really. of these if you so the don't take anything personally and the don't make assumptions, you can so very, very, very quickly fall completely 
vibrain of and course. get very very emotional about those and, and worried and worried and, and make it... a little castle in Spain become a bit like Don Quixote a little bit really you get a bit yeah no doubt I was um, as, then, a, as the, a therapist like that I was really thinking a bit I was trying to make a, I was talking about attention a little bit because you have to give and receive attention and when I uh, treat patients I always think I actually commend quite a lot of attention from them. I commend a lot of attention. I talk quite a lot. I want to uh, let them know about the framework that I'm using. I want to uh, get the, them to get to the jig about the whole lot. And actually, when asked, people actually think that they are given quite a lot of attention by actually being described and putting the, their, their con, uh, contextualizing a bit their problem into that framework, they really, uh, most uh, patients will say that they are actually thinking they receive quite a lot of attention. When actually, I think I'm taking quite a lot of attention. So I make, the, uh, make an assumption that and I, I, I get warped in my way of looking about the whole thing. But, then, how, but attention so isn't just... So then talk... You ask... A patient comes in and you ask, you're ask. asking them lots of questions. Oh, yeah, getting yeah. them thinking and blah, blah, of blah. Course, of course, of course. But you're paying... You're giving them a lot of attention as well because you're listening to what they're saying. Oh, yeah, I listen to you're what they're saying. Engaged. Exactly, exactly. But I tend to speak quite a lot to them as well because there's mm -hmm. quite a lot to cover about uh, stretches, about the whole lot, about what is it that uh, makes them tick in a way, really. So if the person is like, oh, I want to have stretches, I'm like, well, have you done any sports before? Have you stretched before? No. Well, uh, well let's not. What is it you've done before? <laughs> if you have done stretches, oh, well, I've been doing some uh, yoga. Okay, great. Well, or I've, I've been doing some meditation. Okay, well, let's talk about meditation because that's what you're going to be good at doing really we're not going to teach you how to do oh anyway, anyway. yeah let's not rant mm. about the whole lot but it's quite an interesting thing about the assumption and then uh, um, thing, really. always do your best why for those people who would be like what's what's the point well there's, there's no meaning yes that's it that's it that's it that's it well for those people it's uh, great it's uh, uh, I think uh, uh, Jordan Peterson was talking about the whole lot like that. He said, well, well, if you think there's no meaning and there's no stuff, what is it? And if you believe that, what is it? Uh, allowing, what is that belief allowing you not to believe in? Mm. That the whole thing, really. So that's the whole stuff, really. What is it you're hiding, really? How much of a white lie is what you just said, really? Why is it you're saying it, really? Why is it that it needs to be, uh, you know? I think it's just because it's uh, when a god uh, uh, transforms uh, darkness into light and he looked at it, he thought it was good, really. And he, because we know what is good and what is bad, intrinsically, you know why. Unless you're brain damaged. Unless you're brain damaged, and then you don't. Maybe potentially. Do you think you could get so contextually blind by years of um, just. I guess a, a bit. I guess a bit of abuse in various ways, and yeah. and just being so unbelievably stuck in you know right or left brain. side of your yeah. brain, and and truly believe that there is no like, and truly not be able to know the difference between good and bad. Yeah, well, uh, it's because you're too aroused, and therefore, I don't think you can. Oh my idea of it yeah you can be in a position I believe you can be in a position where you don't know what's good and what's bad 
Otherwise, you would not murder people. Mm. That the whole thing, really. In, in the, at that moment, yeah. At that moment, but not, not, not like not permanently over time. But, so. but then, over time, when you're in prison and you've mulled over it for 25 years, uh, you've got a good idea that well, the result about the action and was really not very good, really. Mm. And therefore, your life has completely taken a different turn in light of how potentially bad what you've just done was, really. And society has just, is just there to remind you that uh, there's not a line to cross at times, really. But most of us don't cross it. The majority of us don't cross it. Mm. That's the whole thing, really. Because we yeah. know... Mostly, what's good and what's bad, really. Intrinsically, in our DNA, in our, uh, it's a bit bizarre. It's a bit weird, really. Yeah, Thinking of that, yeah. really, there's that, there's that uh, pro, uh, uh, propension in all of us to actually know right from wrong, and uh, the dominance hierarchy, and the pattern of behavior, and all those kind of stuff. And then you put rules into it, really. Uh, Piaget and how uh, uh, Peterson describes the whole lot a bit about the kids playing really and the kids play and then you got like uh, four or five or three uh, year olds and then they're all playing all the little cousins meet and things I've seen that in my family as well huh? all the cousins play and things like that my kids don't speak much French and my their cousins speak quite a lot of French but they don't speak much English and everybody plays they don't even speak the same language mm. and they play they play really oh haven't the kids play really well today and things like that well, yeah it's a bit weird really <laughs> how come they manage and as an adult you want to get a rule really but the way the kids because they are quite so spontaneous the way their body is and the way they act on a whole lot they end up uh, the whole pattern of behavior makes that the, they're actually working quite well really and mm -hmm. when one uh, crosses the line all the others uh, uh, gang on him really or on her really in order to put the whole uh, thing back in line really mm -hmm. or they come see the adults and all the rest really but they... does that link in at all with um, being precise with your speech at all because it's like almost seems to me like kids are able to run like their little community or their little game or whatever yeah. quite well yeah. and then, well. Uh, and then until, well. until one uh, crosses the line and then all the others are uh, he's getting a, a sideline from the whole lot really because obviously he hasn't followed uh, the rule but yeah. it's, it's an unspoken rule there's no need to have a rule a rule is just uh, intellectualization of the um, pattern of behavior really we are just and it doesn't uh, help in a way because it's just there it's how it is that's why it resonates with you really mm. uh, he talks about the whole lot uh, Peterson talks about the whole lot when uh, uh, Moïse uh, Moses uh, has had the ear full of the Jews for the last 40 years in the desert and they are bickering and uh, nya, 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 all day long and thing uh, and then he goes on the top of the mountain and he carves the whole lot and he says okay now that the rules really and everybody's like oh wow yeah great oh brilliant oh, yeah, that works so well and why would the rules work so well why would you follow the rules if, because they are intrinsically part of you, really. So yeah, everyone agrees with them. Every, uh, Even uh, now, everyone always every says. Everyone agrees still about the world. Yeah. Do not uh, do to others what you don't want them to do to you, really. Don't uh, kill people. Don't kill your neighbor. Uh, uh, why? 
Why? <laughs> Why? Um, so the, the, the wolf, the dominant wolf, is, uh, knows that if he kills all the dominated ones, he doesn't have a pack. And if he doesn't have a pack, he doesn't uh, survive really. So you do not kill your, uh, your, your dom the dominated one, even the minions must not be killed because they have something to teach us they have they have a part to play in the whole thing really how dare you take somebody's life when actually that person could have changed the world really mm. that's the whole thing really. that's what gets reprimanded that's the whole stuff really and that's why we don't kill people that's why the death penalty doesn't work really and that's why we don't kill people for having killed somebody really Because otherwise, it completely defeats the purpose, really. Mm. It's completely stupid to kill somebody for having killed somebody. It's like the, an eye for an eye. Well, great, brilliant, really. But that murderer, if he really comes to his senses and he sees the whole lot, maybe if he redeems himself and he uh, forgives himself for having done the unspeakable, maybe he can pass on to others, really, and change the whole lot, really. And if he changes to... Uh, people uh, and himself well it was um, like the life that has been lost have been lost for the right reason really so all the whole stuff about forgiveness and things like that is really really important really, mm. you know and, and I don't know and it's easy to say when when you're not emotionally aroused because uh, that person hasn't, hasn't raped and killed your kid really in a way really That's the whole stuff, really. And, uh, and it's easy for maybe me to say, really, about the whole lot. It's of much, course, of course, much harder is. for the person who is in a full brunt of having lost a loved one um, from an unspeakable act, really, and from somebody who's done an unspeakable, unspeakable act, really. But as, hum as humanity, as a human... Uh, if we were to be able to think about those kind of stuff like that, well, all of a sudden, you do not kill somebody who killed somebody. That's the whole thing, really. Even if it's, uh, even if it's, there'll be less people in prisons. There'll be, we can see the rehabilitation and the reintegration of uh, detainees is not super good. The whole, they don't seem to change. It's like a bit like a crime school, really, to go to prison, really. So. If we are to shoot everybody who are, are condemned, condemned by the court and things like that, there'll be no prison, we won't have to pay for the whole lot, we, part of our tax will not go on to that, there'll be no resources spent, but we we'll lose all those people, which are not the whole thing, really. So maybe the way society goes about it, we should put them a bit more forward, really, they should be a bit more useful, really. Well, those people... Yeah, people who've murdered, <coughs> murderers, really. Murderers might be a bit more useful than we think they might be, really. Potentially, really. Not the thing, really. How does it work, really? How do we go about doing it, really? Otherwise, we shoot everybody, and then we clear the prisons, we make some student accommodation in it, and that's perfect, really. That works really well, really. <laughs> And then the state doesn't have to be accountable and things like that, really. No, but there's too much money in prisons. Yeah, yeah, there's quite a lot of employment, there's quite a lot of things, but we can see, we can see the, 
the dead end it is a bit really at the mm. moment and the way yeah. it's done really the, the, the prison system in, uh, in Norway mm -hmm. is really really successful mm -hmm. and one of their prisons in fact the prison uh, I think the main prison in Oslo <clears throat> is just outside or just over the fjords mm -hmm. on, a, on an island yeah. and uh, you, you look at it it's really strange because they were all allowed just to walk around Freely, because yeah, yeah. obviously it's, it's yeah, not, yeah. not a very easy place to escape from. Yes, that's it, that's it. And they, they and, have, and they they have the highest, point. I think I'm right in saying that they have the highest um, yeah. retention rate of people staying out, out, of prison. out of prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But people who go to prison in those prisons tend to cook for themselves, they tend to make their beds, they tend to clean the communal areas, they tend to engage with other inmates, they tend to have the opportunity to learn a trade, they tend to be able to, they need to do uh, uh, therapy, all those kind of stuff, really. They need to be clear of substances, all those kind of stuff. So it's, it's a very heavy burden for society to have to pay for those kind of stuff really but it makes for uh, better rounded people and therefore the rate of uh, uh, Res re recidivism 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 that's quite French recidivism Latin <clears throat> yeah it's interesting yeah the four agreements really an interesting little uh, thing Little book. So there's plenty like that and it's quite... Toltec wisdom. Yeah, Toltec. Is it Toltec? Yeah. It's interesting. It says here um, at the end of this little article it says that they mention that Ruiz's next book The Fifth Agreement yeah. suggests the following agreement be sceptical but learn to listen. Yes, that's it. That's it. I need to listen to others. They might have something really important to teach you all the time, really. And to be able to even take part in in groups that are not really your friends. I think that's quite an important uh, yeah. thing, really. Where you can really be opening to the ideas of others that are not your ideas and that you don't share because by actually being able to be explained they are rational maybe you can really see things from a bit of a different angle really. and it puts you in a position where you get comfortable outside of the comfort of tribalism mm -hmm, mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. like when I hang out with certain friends I'm unbelievably comfortable yeah. and I'm trying to learn more just to be comfortable and not not care about what anyone else thinks or mm -hmm. not make any assumptions mm -hmm. around people that make put me in a state where I care way way too much yeah, yeah, or, yeah. Or, or more or, or, or whatever of course of course and so then it's then you're able if you're not backed up by the feelings and the arousal that comes with tribalism yeah, and you're yeah. able to converse with them yeah, yeah. then there's a real discussion Yeah, I think that the whole thing with nationalism, a bit like the push of the far right a little bit at the moment, there is really, which actually um, a lot of people talk about racism and things like that, but I guess uh, you talk about tribalism, but I think uh, um, uh, we, we, it's a culturalism in a way. You, you how are 
How good are you in your hijab and your full veil uh, at uh, communicating with uh, others in your community, your point of view about your religious belief, your everyday uh, beliefs, all those kind of stuff. If you're not able to speak the language or if you're not able to speak to men, all those kind of stuff. How is it that you can bridge the gap there is between your culture and the culture of the people you live with, really? If you're quite obviously a little bit different, really. That's a bit the problem, really. Mm -hmm. So uh, <coughs> you, you go to immigration policies in New Zealand, you come to the country, you don't speak English, they tell you to come back when you do, really. <laughs> Not to say to tell you to fuck off, really. No speaking English. Well, come back when you do, mate. <laughs> no problem. Bye. <laughs> like, how is it you can live in a country and not speak the language? How is it you're going to be able to bridge the gap there is between your culture, your way of thinking, and the way of thinking of people around you? Cultural integration. There's well, culturalism, that's the whole main problem. And um, you come, you speak English, and your fa your wife and your kids uh, come, and the kids uh, get uh, scholarized and they end up speaking uh, very good, but your wife is not uh, speaking English at all, really. And that's a big problem, really. Because uh, being part of a community is really good. Be having meaningful relationship with other people is really good, really. Mm. And, and we are quite open to a lot of different ways and different uh, uh, cultural uh, differences, really. But uh, uh, there's a couple of things that we should not uh, have to put up with, really. And uh, people not speaking the lingo is the first one, really. You don't speak the lingo, well... Go back to where you speak the lingo, because that's going to be the best place where you can live, really, with others, really. And it's not nasty, huh? it's just <laughs> like you want to live with us, you need to Learn speak the how... language we speak, really, yeah. uh, in order for us to be able to listen to the differences we have between each other. Because I need to understand and I need to know uh, how different you are to me, really. Because it's great to be different to me. Because that's what it's on about, really. Mm. And that, if, I, if we can bridge that difference, and even if I don't accept the difference, like, it doesn't matter, really. Because I know what is it I'm different from you about, really. That's the whole lot. It's a whole alien type thing, really, you know? Yeah, and it's not up to the individual to accept or to not accept <laughs> on the whole, is it? On the whole, exactly. It's to understand. Yeah. It's to get an idea about the whole lot and to be able to have understood a little bit. And we see a bit, we've got a little bit of a problem with Islam. Uh, uh, not many people know what a Shiite and a Sunni is. Uh, I talk to about them about uh, uh, Sufis, and you talk to them about uh, what the Sharia is, you talk to them about uh, the five pillars of Islam, all the rest, and think people are a bit like, uh, yeah, it's not uh, all the Arabs. Well, yeah, no, Arabs and Muslims not the same. There's lots of Arabs, we are Christians. <laughs> and they're not having a very good time at the moment. <laughs> Bizarrely, really, it's a bit bizarre. How many Christians are uh, bombing uh, mosques? Well, not too many, really. That's a bit weird, really. 
So obviously, uh, some minority in uh, Islam are really quite uh, violent and they want to uh, uh, impose their view really with violence really. When actually, you know, like in France, uh, people who uh, wear uh, the chador, for example, girls who wear the chador, or Jews who wear the kappa, or or there was a bit of a problem with sick people as well who wear um, uh, their turban. Well, you, you, when you go to school in France, you cannot have any ostentatory religious um, uh, accessories, basically. Because in 1789, we had the French Revolution and we split the state and the church. So the state school is a, a non-denominative, non neutral. neutral environment. <coughs> and, and, and a lot of uh, Muslims in France have had a big uh, hoo-ha. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. You want to, and then there's what's what everybody's, oh yeah, the French have been really a bit uh, harsh on the Muslims and things like that. It's a bit like, well, no. Um, in 1789, it's a while back, and we've done quite a fair bit, we've chopped a few heads, there was a terror, all those kind of stuff, it really fucked up people quite nicely, and, but we came up with a, 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 scholar, a, a school way, a way of, of teaching people, and it's a free uh, education, and it's quite a broad education, but there's no religious ostentatory uh, apparel, uh, like accessories. That's it. You can't have your David cross, you can't have your cross, you can't have your kappa, you can't have your chador. Sorry. If you want to uh, wear your chador, you can have a Quranic school. Because it's false. You, you're op we are open to all the ways possible. You want to be able to have education and wear your chador? No problem. There's absolutely no problem. Uh, uh, create your Quranic school, or create a, a, a Hebrew school, or create a, <laughs> create a, a Rastafari school. No problem. There's no problem. No problem. And that's a bit the whole glitchery is really. I think that's an interesting way of looking at it because a lot of um, a lot of political people, or even like. Well, yeah, just anyone commenting on any political um, issue, they don't divorce their moral or their or their religious beliefs from their their like their government or um, I guess I, I guess like religion from their moral or state beliefs, like governmental mm -hmm. beliefs, mm -hmm. and I think that's quite dangerous because mm -hmm. it's not it's not accepting of everyone, is it? Yeah, that's it, that's it, that's it, that's it. And the bigotry it brings a little bit, really. Mm. And um, I don't know, maybe by saying that uh, you have to speak the lingo when you come to the country and you want to live in it, is it really that uh, that extreme? Mm. That's a bit bizarre. Either either that, or I I, I agree with that personally, but um, I. Don't know much about the the issue, the issue, I guess, politically. But it's either that, or we. I feel like if we are going to accept people to come in to, let's say, England, because or the UK or whatever. So we, if they, if we're going to accept them in and they're not going to speak English, then we need to figure out a better way to integrate them 
yeah. rather than creating ghettos, which is what's been done in the past, a bit isn't it? Ghettoization, a bit. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Like the post-colonialistic uh, type stuff in France as well with North Africans is a bit the same, really. There's a all the, there's a big big problem nowadays and the whole radicalization of uh, those kids is uh, really quite an easy task in a way really because they are a bit lost and the government and the state and the, the environment they're in and they're a bit more stressed they're less uh, they got, they're less successful at school they've got less opportunities for work there's less, all the whole lot really and they're not too sure whether they're uh, North African or they're French or their culture of their parents or their grandparents and the culture of their of the state around and things like that is very it's very conf conflicting really conflicted basically and uh, yeah the, but it's the responsibility of the person coming in the country as well mm, so yeah. again so how is it you justify to yourself uh, coming to a country as a political refugee because there's war all those kind of stuff how how many uh, Syrian people are asking for uh, English lessons or French lessons or German lessons in a way really uh, we're not too sure uh, but we focus a lot on how much the state of uh, Germany or Fran France or, or the UK are actually providing uh, English, French or German lessons to the Syrians so it's, uh, that's the whole thing it's going a bit two ways again it's that state who's actually almighty and providing and we wait for the state to do the stuff oh yeah they don't do that to Yeah, no, there's free library, mate. There's free library. There's internet. There's internet connection in the library. You don't need one at home. You don't have to pay for it. It's gratis. And you've got uh, an obligation to do, really. Well, you can to, see, huh? To your the community obligation, obligation I've had uh, to myself to actually speak the lingo, really. And it's not really... You know, I don't speak the proper uh, Queen's English, really, but I tend to be articulate enough and we're able to have a, a meaningful conversation a bit about the whole lot, really. And that's not coming easily, really. I, don't, I didn't have the... It didn't happen like that, really. I had to work for it. I had to make mistakes. I had to uh, be pointed at. I had some... It was quite interesting, really, learning another language, really. But, what, but, what age did you start learning? Uh, so, yeah, well, I, I learned uh, English in uh, uh, secondary school, uh, at school. So, like, the grammar, a bit, the whole lot. So, I guess my written English is pretty academic in a way, really. But my spo the colloquialisms and the whole fluency uh, didn't happen until I was 28 and I came to live in, uh, in the UK, really. Mm. And I uh, went to the pub and because I can drink alcohol and <laughs> I'm happy about drinking alcohol as well and I played darts I quite enjoy the whole culture and that part of the whole lot and uh, going after a bit of a boozing uh, evening to the Indian restaurant and all the rest and stuff and I had a girlfriend I could not uh, call when she was watching EastEnders all the rest and things she was completely fanatical about that all the rest and things so like all very British very English way of doing really you mm. know Sunday lunch and all the rest and fingers up all those kind of stuff all the whole stuff like why is it we drive on that side of the road why all the rest really I think you get 
get absorbed into the whole stuff a bit really and it really if, if you allow yourself if you allow yourself yeah. but if you got a duty as well to learn it as well because that's the main thing really and that enables you to have a quite meaningful relationship with other people if you allow yourself to do it really and, mm. and that's it helping to be integrated really where I'm married to an English lady and I've got kids who were born in the UK and thing really so in Gloucester <laughs> hospital so it's like who would have known really <laughs> that's the thing really that's that's just how it went really a little mm. really but that's it's yeah. interesting really interesting interesting should we end it there yeah we can the four agreements was a good way of uh, finishing the whole yeah the whole thing really 